0: And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 185. I'm your host, Blaine Putvank. I'm joined now by my co-host, Trey Wilson. Good morning. Matt Smith. Morning. And we have a special guest this episode. Jason Paul joins us today. Hello, hello. We're really happy to have you on board today. Um, We've been trying to get you for a little while. I understand you've been fairly busy on the outside of the hockey world, so happy you're giving us a few minutes of your time today.
1: Super pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, I was on, I don't know, maybe six months ago or last year or whatever. Yep. really enjoy talking to you guys. So thanks for having me.
0: You're one of the few that does. So we'll always ask you back.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My agent said I had to say that. So
0: we did pay extra. <laughs> uh, so this episode, uh, we're in the last couple of episodes we've kind of talked a little bit about player development and empl- uh, deployment and we uh we wanted to continue that discussion but we wanted more of a an analytic point of view because i find that a lot of people go with that eye test and then there's another group that does just analytics but we tend here to try and bridge that gap and kind of merge the two to have a more realistic view so that's why we bring it, because you can actually do that. Yeah. You can bridge, you're Fantastic. our bridge.
1: I, tr- I try to get in that space, and I'm glad that you guys uh, see me that way. So hopefully I can chat it up this uh, episode to see what we can dig up in the numbers.
0: Well, it helps that you have some gray in your beard to match the rest of us. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. We're the same That's vintage. Matt. That's why we like each other, right?
2: <laughs> Except That's Matt, what? he has no gray in his beard. He's the, <laughs> But he's, like, he's the Adonis of the episode, so...
0: He, he's, our, he's our token millennial.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The rest is all Gen X being all <laughs> latchkey and sad.
1: He doesn't even remember Saku Koivu. That's just so bad.
0: I remember Saku Koivu. <laughs> His dad told him stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh All right. He was so... a good
1: defenseman. Yeah,
0: very much so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. analytically. Yeah. Like we had
0: to, before we got on uh, got on air for this episode, we had to explain to Matt the importance of the hot rod T-shirt that Treg's wearing.
2: Yes, I knew about that too. There, there wouldn't be a WWF <laughs> without hot rod.
0: Yeah, he was the greatest, uh, greatest member of the uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. <laughs> hey, right, you, need, you need to
1: bit, do. You need to do a little bit more inclines to fill that out, and a little bit more on the belly too oh, right? you add oh. Both.
2: no i'm oh. just saying if you
1: the rod roddy piper man big you know big pecs and big gut right
2: that's true that's true i don't have the big gut my pecs got are getting it. there though.
0: <laughs> i got it i'm good
2: now i'm just gonna do this because now i'm more conscious
3: <laughs> so we're gonna <laughs> jab in about my age we're gonna jab in about his lack of guts okay
1: <laughs> wow
0: Blaine, you're we, made next. <laughs> fu- we made fun of how old we look too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Blaine Blaine uh, pays the bill, so uh, I'm not gonna make fun of him. That's, That's true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I paid his agent, so I'm yeah. safe.
1: Yeah, I just work. I just work here.
0: So for this episode, like I said, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, some of the player development issues, some uh, player deployment. So why don't we just uh, dive right into it? Um. One of the interesting points that has come up recently with the Canadians, obviously, because Kotkaniemi has decided to uh, take off, has been how he developed. And Jason, you you came up with a really, really interesting tweet, uh, I believe the day after it happened, and mentioned how all these points can be true. And I'm just going to read it off, and we'll go from there. One. KK has potential to be very good. Two, Habs are better in the near term. Three, MB did well. Uh, did well in the micro. Four, Bergeron did poorly in the macro. And five, there are a lot of good things we don't know. So, you kind of you laid out basically what we have talked about in, the, in past episodes. So we want to bring you on so we can kind of walk through this a little bit, and we'll start with that first point where kanyemi has the potential to be very good?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I really like van's um, uh, conference because he kind of alluded to this. I mean, I think the main point here is that Kotkaniemi still has potential, even if they messed him up all the way up to this point, he still has potential to be very good, my opinion, and I think a lot of people think that as well. And where Bergevin and the Habs failed, in my opinion, is they didn't, leave enough track to see whether that was going to happen so just in the in that piece there in my opinion it's a failure and I think all Habs fans even if you love Bergeron, <laughs> I think it's easy to admit that and he admitted it himself in his conference when uh I think it was Arpan uh, Basu he said you know like if he you know could do it again or something like that you know Would you do it? Did you, did you want to lose him now? And of course the answer is, of course we didn't want to lose him now. So then, then you can make the the connection that they've must've done something wrong to lose him that quickly. Right. So that's what I think. The fail here is that they didn't finish the job in the sense that they would have loved to have him at least for another year to see what he's got.
0: Now rushing him obviously has been the big argument with his uh, his development <clears throat> um is there anything that you can point to that could state that yeah they they screwed up his development and here's a couple of reasons that you think why yeah
1: i mean i think um they really needed that st- when the time that they drafted him they needed a center everybody wants a center this is why you see the numbers show that In the first round, in the second round, centers go and defensemen go. You don't see centers go in the third and fourth round because nobody wants to draft a – you don't draft a fourth-line center, right? You draft a guy you think is going to be a first-line center, and then he ends up being a fourth-line center. So everybody wants a center. So where did they mess up here? They messed up, I think, that they saw on the first camp night that he could fill a spot on the team. And – And Trez, I know you guys read my articles there, that one with uh, Kakanyemi, the curious case of Kakenyemi. And the thing that I try to, to, to say to the casual person on Twitter, casual hockey fan, is that a team is structured and they have a spot for a veteran, they have a spot for a penalty killer, they have a spot for a power play. And when those spots get taken up, they get taken up. So the Habs back then, they had a spot open for a young center who they could isolate and give good minutes to. And then what I think happened is down the line, that spot evaporated. You ended up getting Suzuki who could fill that spot better. And then, so now you had a cocky floundering. They didn't have a spot for him. He was not the defensive first forward. He was not the power play juggernaut that they needed to have on the bench for the power play. He was not the offensive dynamo on five on five that they can put out there. So they just didn't have a spot for him. <clears throat> and then your your, your, your uh, development fails there, right?
0: How much of that do you place on the player and how much do you place on the management and development team?
1: That's a great question. And I I do put a lot on Kakanyami because if you look at last season, I, I argue that Suzuki took Kakanyami's spot. People don't want to hear that, but this is a professional spot. Sports. That's what happens. He's more predictable defensively, you know, and coaches love that. Kakemi is not predictable on the ice, so coaches don't like that. Even if you end up statistically, and here's your advanced stats thing, if at the end of the season they both have the same stats, my argument is the one that's a predictable player is the one that's going to get the ice, the one that got those points and statistics through unpredictable means is not going to be the love child of the uh of the coaches right so Kakanyemi did fail there was a time when he lost that spot that offensive spot that Suzuki took and then he should have carved out the defensive spot even if it was the fourth line Jake Evans spot he should have looked at that spot and said that's the one I want to take and I'm going to be super tight defensively and play hard defensively and I just feel like he didn't and it happens a lot with first rounders, right? They think from Guillaume Latin dress to anybody, when you're told you're the offensive dynamo first rounder, that's what you try to achieve. But I think himself, his camp, and I'm sure the coaches were pushing it, they needed to see his defensive play and responsibility first.
2: And he was just not producing that. Stephen Wade also mentioned that Yemi's development. Uh, Stephen, there's an interview with Stephen Wade afterwards, and he mentioned that uh, Yemi thought he was better than what he was at times, and it was hard to put him in a spot where the coaches wanted him because he felt he should have been in a different spot. How much of that is true? Because you're only getting the, the the one side of the story there. But now looking back on it, because that was a huge Kot Kockyemi's. For supporter like I, I, I and I still am I still I still hope he does well <clears throat> but now looking back I can kind of see a little bit of that like when he raised the four fingers of the playoffs after he scored the goal and they you know I can see that you know I maybe he did think he was a little bit you know I should be the second line center why am I still playing on the third line type guy maybe that affected some of his play because let's be honest he played well in in in, in bursts. You know, 10-game segment, played great. Still didn't – I mean, you you alluded in your article that Ducharme was trying to get his offense better because he's putting him in more offensive uh, situations than what he was getting before when he when he wasn't slumping. So it's not like the coaching staff was holding him back or not – Or I mean, he did go through a blender of wingers, but it's not like they weren't putting him in positions where he couldn't succeed. And I think maybe Stephen Wake kind of, you know – Revealed to people that maybe Kotanyami I mean, wasn't the happy go lucky, I'll do anything you asked me to do type type player. Again, that's just one side of the story. So but uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, that was my last point there on that on that tweet, yeah. which is there's so much we don't know. I mean, you hear stories of teams not drafting people in the draft just because they don't feel right with their attitude or whatever. And I'm not saying that Kotanyami had a bad attitude, I'm just saying there's so much we don't know. You know, in that relationship realm, where obviously they felt more comfortable letting him go because they weren't they weren't seeing the production there for sure, or the attitude, or or what to go with uh, what they needed. But I still, I'm still on on the side of I think the Habs really messed it up. I really do, and I think it's more on Van than the coaching staff because the coaching staff they had to deal with this player who maybe wasn't ready. It was it was more management and the development side who who let them come in they should have even if he even if they thought he was going to be a good player in year one they should have been a bit more mature and say this is not christmas and i I can't wait to unwrap my gift like they should have let him stew for sure uh overseas in uh, finland in my opinion
0: now on the coaching staff uh they're the ones that decide uh deployment and line mates and you went into a pretty Pretty in-depth view of his line mates and the deployment thereof. So, can you walk us through a little bit of what you broke down about his line mates?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that research, and I uh, saw that uh, Sarah Sabin used it in her uh, in her article a bit for research. And uh, who who's this? And it, yeah, <laughs> the Carolina. She's great. She's great online there, and uh, she's pumped some of my stuff in the past. So I really enjoy. Uh, when she does that so yeah I mean I really enjoyed it because as a as a fan you're watching uh, that's where you can really put the the data to the eye test because you hear all these things and and I watch every shift like I watch and I watch it through an analytical lens as well but I still don't catch up on the bigger sways that the data can tell you right and um yeah the article um basically the conclusion of my article was the habs are not like Like they're not the offensive team, like uh, the Hurricanes, or not the Hurricanes, but the Hurricanes, you can use them as an example. But the Avs, for example, Colorado, they are the team that is going to be the Rocky Balboa. I'm going to take some punches and then I'm going to counter, right? And so when you have a team like that, as you guys know, and I think it's really interesting because their history is kind of a lot like that with Ganey and Carboneau, is their first priority is to have a very, very strong defensive line that can take the brunt of the other team's best line. That is Deneau, right? And they came through the season pretty rough, but then they used that so well in the playoffs. And so their number, as a coach, when they're, this is my opinion, what I see from the coaching is that that is their number one priority. If we're building a team, I want that line that can go up against Matthews and those guys. Unless you have somebody better than Matthews, then you can be more offensive, right? But they can't. So they have Deneau. So then the next priority is they wanna counterpunch, right? So if Dino's taking taken the brunt of the defensive zone against the other team's uh, best line, then you wanna counterpunch with a, with a line that's gonna score against their other lines. And then your next um, opportunity is you might have a slot for sheltering somebody, right? But if you were sheltering in line, that means you're taken away from your that, that sucker punch line, right? So you got the Deneau line, and Suzuki is clearly the sucker punch line that they want to get out with the best, in the best scenario, right? Which could be offensive face-offs, could be against the other team's fourth line. But you take away from that line if you have another line that you don't trust defensively, which is, unfortunately, the Kotkaniemi line, right? Whatever, whatever line Kotkaniemi's been on, clearly they don't trust it and they deploy it as an isolated line against the team's wor- other team's worth worst uh, lines and offensively in the offensive zone. And then you have Jake Evans, right? So it's like a mini Deno line. So that's how I wrote the article. And then I kind of pitted it against, you know, that Suzuki kind of took that good deployment from and, uh And when it ran through the numbers, I'm a huge Suzuki fan. When you run through the numbers, it's there. It it also proves that Suzuki has the stronger D numbers and he also has the stronger, a little bit stronger offensive numbers. They're not crazy better, but they are better enough to give him that slot with the better wingers. And people still say, well, if you want, if you want to develop Kakanyemi, then you should put him in that role. And I agree with that, but... The NHL is not here to, I don't think Ducharme or any coach is there to develop a player. They want to win. And especially this year when they were just holding on, holding on all year, that they couldn't take a shift off and say, we're going to give kakinemi some plump linemen it's just to see if we can get him going. You know what I mean? So that was the crux of the article. And um, and I also kind of alluded to the, what we were talking a bit before, the, uh, before you started the recording of the podcast, which is. When you look at the data, advanced analytics people, at the end of the season, if Kotkaniemi and Suzuki have the same data, just for argument's sake, on ice uh, expected goals, uh, on ice goals for assists, all that stuff, if they were all the same, my eye test tells me I still trust Suzuki more than I trust Kakanyemi because how they got to those numbers were a lot different. Suzuki is very well known as being someone who understands and controls the game, Late in games, he's, he protects the puck a lot better, um, whereas Kotkaniemi is a bit more of a wild horse where he'll make a crazy cross-ice pass, four minutes left in the game when you're up by one. You, you don't want to see that kind of stuff, right? So I, when I watch the game, I see a bit of that. Of course, he's a young player. Of course, he's going to do that. But uh, you choose the more predictable player over the less predictable player, in my
0: opinion. Yeah. The safe play, the guy who does the safe thing more often, like, uh, like Weber, they chose Weber over Subban because Weber, when he does his zone exits, he'll do a controlled pass or he'll just bank it off the boards and out. It's not, it's not sexy, but it's safe.
1: Exactly. And and I I remember posting something last year, um, a, a clip of Suzuki, um, it was like there was like seven minutes left in the game, and they were up by one goal. I don't remember the score, but they were up by one goal, the Habs. And he he was with Anderson and I don't remember the other winger. And they gained Suzuki gained the zone with the puck. And he promptly slammed on his brakes and tossed it towards the net. And then he took his defensive decision as, as the center, a high defensive, almost as a third defenseman, right? And I took that clip and I put it on Twitter and I said, this is what makes Suzuki. This is why coaches love Suzuki. It's because that is the appropriate play at that time in the game. You're up by a goal. You don't want to go deep and pass it back to the defenseman. You just want to play a little bit safe at that time of the game. And I remember I got some grief on that tweet. On that tweet, You know, people are like, ah, you know, that was a bad play because it was a lie. They could have went to the net and done something better with the puck. And yeah, he could have done something better offensively with the puck. But he sacrificed the offensive play for predictable, secure defense.
0: I remember that play. That was about 30 to 40 seconds into his shift. So had he taken that chance, he's already near the end of his gas tank for that shift. If he loses the puck, he has to chase it back. Now he's going to be completely gassed. So he made the safer yeah. play.
1: Yeah. I mean, the data shows, and this is another thing about analytics, that the data shows that teams cannot score on the rush if both your defensemen are back. That just never happens. When's the last time you saw a play you it just doesn't happen. So if you're armed with that kind of data, then that's exactly how the Habs play. They're like they want their defensemen back and they want their center like DeNo or someone they want them to play very smart defense. That's the identity that's the identity of the team and I think they lost out on a potential home run getting rid of Nemi, but they're bringing in a guy that is exactly that Win the draws you know a veteran who's who's you know 25 year old veteran whose who's uh reputation and statistics are continually going up plays the right the right way quote unquote that's why that second part of that tweet the second bullet is they're better now they probably are I think they are but you know if Nemi turns out to be Barkov then they're going to regret that right
0: yeah, big time. He's getting
2: paid more than Barkov. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I think. Now, that's
1: what do you guys a... think though? Like, what do you think? What do you think of that? Did you guys? Would you think of that analysis if you read it? The uh, the one curious case of cockney. I mean?
2: I loved it. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it. It didn't really. I like how it didn't take a side. It just kind of said, "This is the way it is." You know what I mean? Like, you either like it or you don't. Because I mean. I don't know if you know of a certain Yemi fan on Twitter named named Manning, who yeah. is, and I mean, she's too, it's almost like the conservatives and the liberals. She's too far to the right when it comes to Yemi and there's other people too far to the left who say he's going to be a bump. I actually think he's going to have a successful career as a winger in Carolina. I don't think he's going to be a center at all, but um Anyway, I, I liked how it went because it kind of says, you know what, Aaron? You you have some good points. But did you consider this? Because her her biggest argument was these line mates. Oh, you can't develop all these line mates. And I used to argue with her. Who are you moving the line mates away from? You're not moving them away from Suzuki. You're not moving them away from uh Duneau. And you should be glad that they're not putting Kotny on the fourth line. Like if he wanted Consistent line mates. The fourth line was the place where he had to go, and they didn't do yeah. that. They said, "No, you're a third line center." So, the the coaches had the confidence to say, "Yeah, you're a third line guy, right?" However, we don't really have any wingers for you, so we're just going to see what works. And yeah, if it doesn't work, we'll move on.
0: So and yeah. the way you broke down the uh, his losing the battle to Suzuki, and you used their yeah. Their performance against the quality of competition. I thought that was a a very good uh, descriptive reason as to why he was where he was in the lineup.
2: Yeah, I, 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 you you hit the nail on the head. Suzuki took his spot. Like he got drafted to be the number one, number two center. Uh, with know at the time was going to be the for now number one, even though he's number one center. And then they traded for Suzuki, and Suzuki right away, pretty much, you know, the coaches fell in love with them and they didn't fall in love with Cotton Yemi, and then you see what happened there, so, yeah, I, I, I liked your story, I, I, I thought it was almost as good as one of mine, so, perfect. Uh, <laughs>
1: half the clicks, half the clicks. <laughs>
0: But the way you you used Puck IQ and then you threw in some of your your own uh, graphics and it showed graphically the difference in their outcomes against higher competition.
1: Yeah, And, and one of the revealing things was that he didn't do very well against the lower competition, right? Which is a complete different style. You get thrown out there with Matt against Matt Martin and Clutterbuck and those guys, and it's just a different game for that thirty seconds, right? And that's why they, I would argue, Trish, that they couldn't use him as a fourth liner because he wasn't doing the fourth line stuff, right? Or he he the stats were basically showing that that's not a good matchup.
2: Oh, and they, I they totally really... agree. My yeah. argument was, if you want him to have consistent line mates, you're going to have to dump him on the fourth line, and you're going to have to drop his minutes. Yeah, because those fourth line wingers weren't moving anywhere unless there's an injury or something. So,
1: Yeah. And this and this goes to your point, Blaine, about, you know, how much of it is on the player. Right. And if he was if he was a second round draft pick or a third round draft pick, maybe he would have accepted that lower role a little bit better. I don't know. Uh, Was there anybody at at his camp? I don't know his camp at all obviously, and uh, telling him, dude, just go in as the fourth liner, put your nose down and just play a full season of the fourth liner, like show them that you can dump the puck out and whatever. I know people don't like to hear that, but I mean, this is what Evans is doing. I don't mean to echo van's conference, but I mean, Evans is just showing that he can play that role. Yeah, But
3: for a guy that was yeah, drafted so. in 2014, he played through the NCAA, and now he's taken his licks in the AHL and finally made it to the NHL. And now he's starting to make a little bit of an impact.
0: He's definitely taking licks in the NHL level. Absolutely. Oof. A little shifling. That was ugly. Uh,
3: absolutely. Yeah. But but you know what? He's really, he's earned, he's earned the minutes. Absolutely. He's earned the minutes you, enough but, that they didn't go out and get the quintessential veteran fourth line center yet.
1: Yet. Yeah. Yeah, and here's well, where don't... that Canadian Canadian attitude, right? Like classic Canadian, grind them out. We like these stories. We yeah. love them. Yeah.
2: The haves also don't have the money right now. Well, I suppose they got 1.1 million in cap relief left with the Weber uh, LTIR. But um, I don't think they will get that uh, veteran center. I think they're going to go with, I think it will be like what they did last year. They'll wait till around Christmas time and see where their centers are at. And then if they need to go get one, they'll go get one.
0: Now this takes me to the second uh, the second point um, that your belief that the Habs are better in the near term, and that is that is definitely a point of view that we've all shared on this on this podcast is that the subsequent trade for Dvorak, who unfortunately is going to be tied to the Kotkaniemi offer sheet now forever because he came in right after how. Dvorak makes us better. You kind of talked about it a little bit because you mentioned his defensive play in Arizona his, being a face-off guy. Can you give us a little bit more on your view of Dvorak and what he'll bring?
1: Yeah, for, first, you have to start with what's leaving, right? Um, and uh, again, I, I'm not here to bash Kakanemi whatsoever. I, I'm, I hope he does well, and I think he's going to be a good player. But he was an isolated player in Montreal for his time there. And if you just look at the impact, forget about the first round, or forget about whether they're developing him. His impact in the lineup was not good, right? So when you take a player whose impact's not good and you replace it with even an average player like Jordan Wheel, for example, <laughs> you're you you should do better. Like you should do better. So, but obviously he's not really taking cocky. Kakin- not taking cocky. Emmy spot. He's taking Dano's spot. And Deneau spot, and I've been critical of Deneau as an overall player, but there's no, there's no denying that that guy was part of one of the best five-on-five lines in the past two years. There's no denying what he did in the playoffs was, I think, unbelievable. And so when he left, that's a massive hole. That's a massive five-on-five hole that you're leaving. So when I'm saying they're better, I'm saying not that they're not better – what they were when I went saying like a finals. I'm saying they're better having filled Dano's uh, void because if they were filling that void with Kakinyemi, I think it would have been a big time struggle this year, uh, unless he turns out to be a, you know that star who 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 dominates. But at least they're replacing Dano with someone who is getting first line minutes on a on another NHL team who plays against the tough competition, who does all the D zone starts uh, face-offs. So they are least, you could, you might even argue he's the, he was the best available asset they could have got out there. Again, I'm no insider, so I don't know who's available, but if I look at getting a 25 year old player who, who has spit out that kind of, uh, deployment last year, I'm pretty happy with that.
2: Especially on a team like Arizona, which wasn't a very good team, you know, like he was putting up good numbers on a bad team. So that, that's what I like to look at as well.
0: <clears throat> yeah, just, I went yeah, back I mean, and forth.
2: They,
1: they almost had yeah, yeah, the I, I playoffs too. Yeah, they did. And um, I'm going to go – I'm definitely going to go look at some tape, more tape. I did a little bit. I want to I wanna see, you know, a few games against good teams on every one of his shifts just to see a little bit better understanding on where he plays. But uh, based on just the statistics and what I've seen so far, I mean, he had terrible linemates in, uh, in Arizona on the def- like for the defensive draws on the offensive draws he had Kessel quite a bit looks like um so and if you dissect which I have in the past to nose line um something that came through the numbers that I didn't really quite realize how valuable um Gallagher is in the transition game like you watch him and you're like how can this guy be good in transition because you're like you think of smooth skating guys and guys that are carrying the puck, but he is super high percentage getting it out of the zone, getting it in the zone with, with um, uh, possession. And you put it, you put a guy who's really high in the league at doing that. And then you, you give him to Dvorak, who's not used to that. You're going to see his numbers come up big time. Cause defensive numbers,
2: Dvorak.
0: Now you, you did a comparison between Dvorak and Kotkaniemi using your wave Intel versus sheet. So if anyone's listening and you want to take a look, go to Wave Intel, tap, uh, go to the Versus sheet, check it out. It's a great tool. I've used it in some of my articles. It's a lot of help. Now you've gone through uh, deployment, individual stats, five on five, and, and Kotkaniemi actually comes out looking pretty good in a couple of areas, uh, especially five on five with the shot share and the goal share. So why would he looked better there. Why would Dvorak be an upgrade if that's the case?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're they're deployed completely different, right? So you're going to get different. uh, It's not a really fair comparison. Um, So when you're, yeah, your, your numbers come out a bit different. Those again, the stats that I show in versus are raw stats, right? So you have to always look at, in my opinion, the team that they're coming from and the Habs are one of the best possession teams uh, in the league. And they have been, even when they have a rough patch, their, their underlying numbers look really good. Um, so, you know, by association, you can plug any winger in Jordan wheel, anybody in the Hab system, and you should be getting a pretty good readout hey, defensively for the on ice numbers.
0: We're talking about Jordan wheel here. Come on.
1: Yeah. He's K-H-L <laughs> I keep going back to KHL superstars. So. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he's just come off my tongue because, you know, he's, You know, he's the quintessential professional, very good hockey player. Like that guy is a great hockey player. You could plug him in any NHL team anytime you want right now. And he's not going to, he is not going to lose you. And, but your, your team, your team is always a bit of a weird microcosm uh, because you're trying to develop players and you're trying to test players. So you're putting up with a bit of below average performance, knowing that hopefully by the end of the season, you're going to get better. Uh, and that's why you play a guy like Kakanyemi over Wheel. But reality is, maybe you know, if they would have played Jordan Wheel last year over Kakanyemi or the two years two years ago, they might have had a little, might have had another win here or there. Who knows, right?
0: Yeah, true. But uh, but back to the uh, you were mentioning raw stats on your verses, and what what is it that we're we're missing here? Is it the level of competition?
1: Yeah. So for yeah. So um, both the deployment. So whether they're, well, I mean, deployment is an umbrella, right? Whether they're they're put out there for the face-off, the ozone face-off, whether they're against the other team's best players, and that's what you're not really seeing on these raw stats of mine is, is that is that Dvorak was playing against other teams' top players, and he was not given the quality of line mates to match. Whereas Kakinyemi is seeing lesser uh quality but he's also got less quality on his on his uh line mates as well so i mean if you talk to analytics people some people don't really care too much about the deployment side of things um because they believe it washes out and i think there's definitely a bit of that and when it when it washes out they mean you know if you play 80 percent of the game against the other team's worst players but then uh you have to face uh you know Stamkos. At the end of your shift because the other coach is smart enough to to get him out there at the right time then you, that all kind of washes out um but for me i'm more on the side of deployments much more important like i really feel you you hear guys yelling on the bench in the nhl right like get off because they don't want to serve defensemen on against certain lines and uh you see a lot of that and the habs are huge on that so
0: must so be why you, everybody on my team tells me to get off the ice anytime I'm on it.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> come back and fill up some water bottles. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
3: what would you expect from Dvorak this year? Kakaniami aside, you know he's with the Canes now. What would you expect from from uh, from Dvorak entering his first season with the Canadians?
1: I think they're going to slide him in the Dino role. And um, he's quickly going to become the coach's favorite guy on faceoffs. Um, you're going to see him against the other team's best players. You're going to see him deployed for the D-zone faceoffs. Um, but I do think they're going to support him with much better wingers. You're going to—I would guess—I would guess that Gallagher is going to be on his wing yeah. Ooh, he has made the, he, because
3: he has made the comment that he that he does well with a. Um, a puck carrying winger. However, that would for me that would push kind of into Drewan territory. But when you start talking defensive hockey, I don't really see that with Drewan. So it's going to be interesting to see who that secondary winger is going to be. As we could all probably agree that Gallagher is going to be the guy that's 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 going to slot in on that one side.
2: I think it's going to be Mike Hoffman. You're going that's to have a- two good. You got to have it. a good, good defensive center, a fairly good defensive winger, and you're going to throw Hoffman out there to be protected by those. That's it, could, it could very well be.
0: Well, with Dvorak not being, he's not someone that carries the play. He's more of a shooting no. center. So having a Gallagher there for the transition, like you mentioned, Jason, I always thought would be a very good fit there. But for, for the other side, um, I would expect more of a playmaking winger. So someone like Drew Wang would probably be a better fit there if he's up to the task. Yep.
1: Yeah. I, I'm really interested to see, I think there's going to be obviously a period where they're, they're getting used to each other. And yep. uh, one thing I noticed about Deneau that's very unique um, with him and his wingers is that he plays very low in the defensive zone and so do his wingers. So um, Deneau is not really classically getting it out of, the zone per se over the blue line, he's deferring to, to Gallagher, who then gets it over the line and they come up more as a unit. And when when you mess up one of those wingers, I don't know if you noticed or you changed the uh, center, they get messed up. I remember when Co- was was who and Yemi played on the wing, right? With deno in the playoffs. I'm trying to remember what she was and it was all messed up because yeah. they do play a unique, the, the Dano line does play a unique brand and it'll be interesting to see how Gallagher adapts to Dvorak uh, it'll be interesting to know if the coaches are pushing Dvorak in a more defensive role because it seems like he's just playing as a def-
0: you know he, he might be yeah. taking
1: the defensive draws and playing against the best uh, players but I'm I'm yeah. not sure I'm going to see I want to watch more tape on him if he's like a defense first 100 percent and I just don't I don't think so so they might push him back into that role whether he likes it or
0: not kind of thing having watched a lot of uh Coyotes games, mostly- you know, against the Kings and stuff, um, he has been used defensively quite a lot, but not exclusively. He he yeah. he was their their main offensive driver at large stretches last year. So he's kind of a hybrid.
3: He was kind of their jack yeah. of all trades guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And as and as Jason alluded to, he was the guy you can win face off, go out. Doesn't matter who's on your wings. We need you to win that draw, whatever zone you're in.
0: And they relied on that possession because like you had talked about earlier, Jason, uh, the Canadians are a gigantic possession team, but Arizona doesn't quite meet those numbers. So winning a face-off for them was a much bigger deal because they had a hard time regaining possession after that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's, uh, and that was my big, uh, my big criticism of Deneau. Uh, and I wrote an article a couple of years ago about this, when people are saying this is, you know, Deneau, the Dano line is the best line in the league. And I, and I said, wait a minute, you cannot be a premier center or even a premier line if if you're only playing one part of the game, which is a huge part, five on five part of the game is huge. But a lot of the best players are making up for all of their five on five with two or three minutes on the power play. Like the best centers in the league are doing that, right? So, I'm not saying Dvorak's going to be in that group, but for sure, if he's giving you a good portion of that defense and then he's also contributing on the power play, that's pretty sweet.
2: intrigue you had, so yeah. What did you mean by NBA did poorly or versioned did poorly with the macros? What, what uh, exactly were you saying for that one?
1: Yeah. I just, I just think big picture, um, you know, and I, I tweeted it out this morning. I'm like, you know, you were awarded, as an organization, you were awarded a third-round pick three years ago, and this is where you are with it right now. I don't think anybody can evaluate that and say, well done, right? <laughs> from, from who you chose, uh, and it's not even who you chose. You could have traded that pick, or you could have put Yemi, um back to Finland for a couple of years. There are so many points in time where they could have done something better than they did now did he do did he do well with what he was what he what he was faced with my I believe yes but he put himself in that spot mm-hmm. I just think there were many points there that could have could have gone way better so in in, your... in overall this is a failure this to me this is a failure you didn't you quick... didn't strive to to choose through it overall and, and end up like this
3: so quick question do you th- do you believe that this was a development decision for Kakaniami? do you think you just saw the money and ran because if if we want to get in if we want to get into quality of wingers this would have been his best season to uh to succeed with him with the wingers that they have deno out and the guy that you're really fighting for now for ice time is is evans not suzuki you could he could he could have really cemented that two C. yeah i know I, and again and whose fault is that I don't know, right? But but anybody um, can look at six point one million dollars and be like, shit, right? I, I see it more like that, not really a, a a development issue. I know there have been development issues, but in terms of his decision, I think you just saw the money and ran.
1: but yeah, for, for sure. I agree. This, and, and this, I mean this
3: would have been this would have been his, I'm not gonna say his coming out party, but this is this would have been his, you know, show show me what you can do season.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think we all like Kakinami, and even if if you were his you know his family, you'd be like, you want the best, right? And this is a short time win, a short term win because you get the money. Like if he gets injured or and his career is over, this is beautiful. He's Six million dollars. Uh, but I think that he's put himself. It's not all his fault. I think the Habs have done this too because they didn't do it properly. They didn't develop him properly. Maybe they should have put him on the wing, stay in Finland. Because they didn't develop him properly, this is the point where they were at. But I believe that, unfortunately, Cockney's career could be bounced around now. Like he really has to put it... He has to show that he's a top six... He has to show he's a top six center or a top line winger for Carolina to want to re-up on that. Absolutely.
2: I I actually just wrote an article on that uh, stating that this could put him in a little bit of trouble because say he doesn't meet up to say, he's a a third line winger, which it looks like he's going to be to start the season anyway. And he doesn't put up the numbers. He just, he's a 20 to 30 point guy. What's what's making Carolina want to give him his qualifying offer of 6.1 million. You know what I mean? So they're like, well, no, we're not going to qualify you, put you to the UFA. Now someone's going to sign him. He's a third round pick. So someone's going to go, Hey, well we can, Toronto's going to fix him. So they're gonna they're gonna go out and sign him and they're gonna fix him like they gave Galchenik. Uh, no, but jokes aside, now he's in the one and a half to two and a half million dollar range, which is what he would have been in in Montreal. And then he's gonna be like almost like a Galchenik. All right, he'll sign a one year deal with this team for one and a half to two million. Show me what you can do. And if he doesn't do it again, next all right UFA next game. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. Finally, he's playing in the KHL at twenty six years old. And to me, I think, and you alluded to it, Matt, he would have been better off to sign the $2.5 with Montreal, show-me-what-you-can-do type contract, and then he's not held to this high expectations and pressure that he's going to be held to now. Like, even in a small market like Carolina, they're going to expect something out of him if he's, like, the third-highest player on the team, highest-paid player on the team. So... Could you imagine oh,
0: did. all 15 fans out in front of Carolina just picketing <laughs> that whole, that whole thing?
1: Yeah. He, he, he's, he's uh, shot, his stability, not shot. I mean, he's really put his stability uh, in jeopardy and, uh, but maybe they don't care about that. Um, and sometimes maybe this is where the European thing comes in. And this is where a lot of this stuff comes in. Like maybe that's not that important. Like Marion also bounced around and, and but somebody I think um, other NHLers have said this to me. I think if I remember exactly what they're what it is, there's a very small percentage that are like they they stay with the team, they're the face of the team. They get the money, they get they get the um, um, you know the support from the team. And some people like that; they want to stay in the same city. They want to be you know. And he's kind of almost put that big time in jeopardy. And again, is it his fault? No. I think the Habs probably have more of a Uh, to blame on it but this it's a bit too unfortunate i think in my opinion
0: now on that i mean you see we've seen uh deno leave we've seen uh, katkinemi leave um i mean they say it's for better opportunities deno mentioned how he was going to be given more of a role but he's got he's got byfield and turcott velarde uh, anderson dolan lazat they're all coming up and they're gonna be pushing him for jobs probably right away and then KK leaves and he's a third line left winger. Um, is, if, is it fair to say that, I mean, clearly the players have some fault, but there's something in the the underlying emotion of that. Like the team has some fault in that.
2: Yeah, they don't want to pay him the money they want. And Dano's case, that's exactly what it was. He went to LA for $500,000 more. It was all, it was about
0: money. Like Jason well, said, actually, like, I mean, Jason, I you were pointing at the whole supports and everything. I mean, we're talking about a player who grew up in the area. His family's all there. There's a lot to be said about playing near home. And he, he just decided to move.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the other side of it is like you really have to make hay, right? The careers are short. You don't know when it's going to end. Through injury and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I I definitely don't begrudge these guys. It's, I guess it's the fan side that you kind of hope for that and you kind of want that, right? And uh, and but those kind of days are a little bit gone. I mean, it happened same thing with Shea Weber. Man, I, I was Shea, I don't want to get into this now, but when I saw Shea Weber his first six months, first year in the Habs, like I I saw a guy that was kind of gutted. I, I just thought he was. He thought he was going to be in Nashville this that whole time, and they went to the finals that year, right? And, you know, is it Poyle's fault? Is it Nashville's fault? Is it, it's everybody's fault because he's, he also signed that crazy deal. Right. Um, but at the same time, I, I wonder if an organization under, like takes that impact into account. You're trading for a guy that doesn't, you know, it's going to take him six months to, to uh, adjust. He might, I think it's a big deal when you trade a hired gun, who's not going to be part of the organization moving forward. Like you look at a guy like Kerry Price. It's like when people want him traded and all that kind of stuff. I don't like that. I I look at this guy as this is a franchise guy and it's more than just wins here and there. It's hopefully he becomes a part of the organization moving forward. He he probably doesn't want to, but you know, like whatever capacity, but you start changing guys in and out, like they're nobodies. I, I don't like that feeling either. You know?
2: We're old school, though, Jason. We're used to, like, a uh, guy staying on a team for majority of their career just signing with another team in the last twilight, like Larry Robinson when he went to L.A. or uh, uh, Guy Point when he went to St. Louis. And You know what I mean? Like, we're used to them yeah. spending 10, 15 years with the same team, and it's just at the end of the career where the team knows they're pretty much done, but they don't know, so they go and sign with another team just to get that extra couple of years in. Um, it's not like that today. Today's market's not uh, the, the salary cap has things to do with that. Uh, yeah. uh, it's it's just not the way it is now. It's very rare to see a guy like Carey Price or Drew Doughty or Alex Ovechkin who are going to play their entire career with the same the same team. It, it or, just... or
0: Guy Lafleur who leaves gets the gets into the Hall of Fame and then comes back three years later playing for teams like New York and then <laughs> Quebec <Yeah>. City. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. That was a gag reflex. Anytime I think of the <laughs> Nordiques, I just want to throw up. But then again, in Gila first
2: case, you can look back at the fact that uh, there was a lot of reasons why he retired from the Canadians that weren't uh, play related. It was more political. So, But uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's different nowadays to watch, be a fan of a player. And that's what you find a lot. People's like Kotkaniemi and the, the person I mentioned earlier, they're upset because their favorite player got traded. Well, today's day, don't expect your favorite player to stay on the team forever because it's not going to happen. I mean, my favorite player yeah. is Patrick Wall. Look what happened there. So uh, it's...
1: Yeah, you're either, devastating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the case of Kotkaniemi as well, and I mean, if you think you had a number one center here, and I, obviously they were forced to evaluate, make an evaluation within a week. They didn't want to do this. There's no way they did. And, and Bergevin said they did They did not. They wanted more time to make their evaluation. But they had to come to the evaluation. And obviously, they came to the evaluation that he was not going to be that star center. Uh, or that the chance of it was really small. And when you're building an organization, I think that's also a part of it, which is you can't, if you had three number one centers, you really couldn't keep them anyway. So you need to try to make hay when you can't. Again, did Bergevin want to make hay last week? No, he should have done it earlier, or he should have developed him really well and then traded him, or do your Pittsburgh model with the two crazy good centers. But there's just not enough room on a team to have all these. If you've got a start, you got a star defenseman, you got a star goalie, a star forward. I think Suzuki, they 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 know they're gonna to have to pay big bucks for this kid. And they've already got that allotted for him now. So Even if Kakinemi was going to be a huge star, like they probably wouldn't be able to keep both of them. Uh, I read this book called um, uh, Late Greats or something like that. It was was about this, uh, the guy in Columbus, one of the writers in Columbus is like 15 years old now. And he followed the the drafting table for Columbus for the whole year, all the scouts. And he wrote, it was a really good book. I got to find it and I'll send it to you guys. The name of it. Anyway, it was really cool because I had all these insights of the assistant GMs and the GMs and the co- and the, the scouts. And even before they're scouting them, let alone draft them, they're already pegging them to the future. Do we want this guy to be the face of our franchise? You know, um, and things like you know, are they from here? Uh, what kind of attitude do they have? Are they going to gamble? Are they going to coach? Or, or whatever? All these kinds of stuff. And they make decisions based on that more than I think we, we know, right. And this is why the draft is crazy. They draft their preference over somebody else because they, there's something they see in those guys that they want. And obviously, potentially they didn't see the signals of that on Kakinami to the point, to the level that they wanted to. And they're obviously seeing it in some other players
2: they have.
3: How important do you believe Suzuki is going to be this season, especially with, uh, Dvorak coming in, you lose Dano, you lose Kakanyemi, and, of course, it's being his RFA year. It's a contract season for him.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to – I mean, I love the kid. I think they're going to drive him, like, mad. And to, to, to Blaine reading the the, uh, the points there, that number two point, they're better – the point I made that they're better now also goes back to some of the data, which is they weren't giving Suzuki all the plump spots because they had to give some to Kakanyemi. So now that shelf is done. And they, in theory, they can give even more uh, advantageous ice to Suzuki. And so you might see his numbers come up a little bit, uh, five on five. He needs to get better on the faceoff circle. Like he, he really does. needs to. And, and it'll show this year if, if he, I hope he doesn't take a step back. Uh, but that could be a barometer for his off-ice training to see how much he improves on the face-offs because they would use him a lot more. Uh, but you might see Dvorak take some of those offensive zone face-offs if
2: Suzuki can't get it up, can't get the uh, percentage up. Who do you see uh, on, the, on the penalty kill? I know you're a big Armia fan, so I, I know you see him on the penalty kill, but do you think Evans has uh, stepped up enough to? Uh, or Dvorak or Suzuki, do you think they' they're, they're gonna be enough to replace deno on that uh, penalty kill?
1: Yeah, I think they have lots there. I think they probably have too many uh, good uh, pK. I've been critical of the PK. it hasn't performed very well, but they do have the pieces there, especially on uh, on forward. Um, so I do see Dvorak gonna be a big. they're just gonna go to the well with him on the, on the um, draws unless for some reason, Suzuki fits in there, but um, Evans' draws have been excellent as well. So it, those two guys are going to be the primary, I believe, on the uh, PK. And uh, obviously, you're going to see Lekkinen and uh, Armia and Byron if he's around. I mean, Same. I think Evans' Evans's numbers statistically were very good penalty killing. I, I And the eye test, I don't know if you, what you guys thought of. I thought I, I, I really liked what he did on the PK. And then Armia, um, I, my opinion, on Armia, is he's like top top penalty killer in the NHL. He's one of the top, top 10. He'll say it on your on your podcast. He's <laughs> one of the top 10 penalty killers in the NHL.
2: You heard it here first, folks.
1: <laughs> he that guy, that guy's board work and strength is it's off the charts. I just, he does, when he does not want to, when he's concentrating and he's, you know, if it's a playoff or a big game, he does not lose battles on the, on the boards. He won't lose a puck battle. Like guy.
0: Okay. Uh, you guys, he's <laughs> got anything else. I mean.
1: Yeah. Oh. Well, we're
3: sticking to sticking to, um, sticking <laughs> to the PK. Um, what about the power play this year? You, you bring in Dvorak who can now say, fill in a, say a two C role in the power play bring in Hoffman. you get a full season of Caulfield. What do you think is going to, what do you think going to happen with the power play?
1: I think uh, the power play should be, if, if it's going to click, it's going to be Suzuki and Caulfield. I mean, I don't know how, I haven't been this excited for a duo in Montreal. Like, honestly don't remember when I'm trying to think of a duo uh, that could be that dynamic. Um, like they haven't, They've had one-offs that were really good. They had some really good, you know, even with uh, Ribeiro and some of the crazy plays he made and back then. But and Markov was fantastic. But a duo like this can be lethal, especially if they have Hoffman as a as a, a third spot um, that can give you a secondary uh, option there. I mean, that's what I'm looking. I'm just totally looking at those two guys. It should run the power play. Should run through Suzuki and finish with Caulfield. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and the the defense should be there just as decoy. Like, um, uh, obviously Petrie is going to get, you know, again, addition by subtraction. I love Weber, and he his stats are actually good on the power play. I just don't think he just it's two one dynamic. And with him not there, I think the power play should be more dynamic.
0: It kind of forces their hand.
1: Yeah. It will, yeah, and it, and just just the Caulfield and Suzuki, the um, confidence that they should have gotten in the last six months, a year more, like they, they're, they're 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 they have a cockiness about them. You don't see them, fra- I, they don't look to be like kind of fragile psyche kind, of, which which is pretty rare in the NHL anyway. But they look to be those the top end performers that want the puck, that want to make the plays. And uh, what they should do, if I have one other criticism with the Habs and their power play, is they should go to the well with those guys. Like, they should treat Caulfield and Suzuki like uh, Ovechkin and uh, Backstrom. Obviously, people are going to give you heck for me saying this on your podcast. I'm not saying that's who they are, but they should be deployed that way. If they're giving you the best chance, don't, take, don't let them play half the power play. And that's what I see in the stats. They don't push the top power play guys enough, like the other teams do. They got to give them more ice.
3: I'm, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that overhead shot with Caulfield just standing there all by himself with his stick, and then you're like, well, you, you know what's going to go to him? Why don't you defend him? And then he just blasts yeah. him past the goalie. I'm waiting for that Ovechkin moment.
1: Aren't you excited? Aren't you guys excited? Though? I can't I mean, wait. Yeah. I can't wait for I mean, a full season. I did another tweet the other day about, about scouting. It's like, scouting is so hard. You know? um, Matt, it was, it was you, Matt, you, you, you sent out a tweet about uh, Shipachev or what's the name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shipachev. Yeah. And you're like, how is this guy not in the NHL? And I was going to retweet your tweet, but I just did a separate tweet. Yeah. And because I saw that goal. And the first thing I thought was he had so much time, like, honestly, Anybody could do that. I'm not, I wasn't I didn't want to track yeah. your tweet, but Damn. it made me it made me tweet that the biggest challenge between those guys, the guys in the KHL that can do that kind of stuff and the NHL is you just do not have you have nothing close to that time. And and that's what I love about Caulfield and that's what I love about Suzuki. Suzuki is all about deception. It's coming off a stick in a weird way. And he's passing, he looks like he's passing one way, but he's passing the other way. And Caulfield is just that guy's lightning, lightning hands. Yeah. No. And, it, and it's not just about shooting; it's about passing and moving. He's just he he can execute so fast. Haven't seen anybody like that in Montreal. No,
2: and he no, can not a since hole smaller uh, than the puck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like he he can put the puck in anywhere. Like he has a hole this big, and he'll put the puck through it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like we haven't yeah. seen a shooter like that wearing a Habs uniform since uh, Riche.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. For sure.
0: And yeah. I know I, I ran into Rishi not long ago. He was in Halifax for, um, for some stuff. And he said, yep, he shoots like me. Hopefully he scores as much too.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, hopefully he scores is... more consistently than Riche did. <laughs> I'll
0: take a, I'll take a 40, 50 goal score for a few years. That'd be fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, before, <clears throat> before we, uh, we let you go, Jason, uh, Boys, you got any any last questions?
2: Did uh, Carolina offer sheet out of revenge, or did they really want Cockyami?
1: <laughs> I think it was out of revenge, but I mean, you can have both, right? It, they obviously thought that this is a really you know good opportunity, and uh, they had the cap space, right? And uh, now, now they've got that year, right, to see whether it's a lottery ticket or not, right? So. It's just passing the lottery ticket around, in my opinion.
2: Matt,
3: for me, that's everything. Just thanks. The, you know, just want to say thanks a lot for uh, for being on our show. As always, you're welcome to you're welcome to join us anytime.
1: Thanks, boys. I love talking hockey with you. Especially being uh, moved down here uh, in Kenya, I need uh, I need to do this a little bit more often.
0: So you haven't run into the Kenyan ice hockey team. The one that was on the Tim. No, Harts but I know, I
1: know the guys down here and I know Johnny Oduya was down here uh, a couple months ago. So I definitely will uh, hook up with them when they come back down next time.
0: Well, we want to see pictures.
1: We will. I'll do it for sure.
0: <laughs> Especially you playing hockey with the boys.
1: I will. I will. I, I I saw the rink. It's like this little square thing. It's not even round in the corners. I
0: think. <laughs> oh, no, really? So
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but i brought my equipment and i brought my kids equipment so uh, we'll definitely be out there i'll send some pics
0: be great well i want to thank you for coming on the show this has been amazing we covered a ton of stuff and we could have probably done another couple hours but i know it's it's about well from halifax it's six hours ahead of us so you've got more to do today so we won't take up any more of your time um for everyone who's listening thank you for listening Uh, we appreciate that uh jason why don't you give them a give them an idea of where they can find your stuff.
1: Yeah, I've got a website. It's uh waveintel.org, And that's where I have some tools to uh, pop out some really good analytics uh, images and you can share them on, uh, on your social media. You can find me at wave Intel on Twitter. And uh, now that the season's coming, I'll be bashing out some more tweets for sure. A few boys. Thanks for <laughs> having me. Hey eh, guys.
0: Anytime's love love chatting
1: hockey with you guys.
0: We're just happy that you found the time since you've been this big guy, a big-time TSN guy to come back on. <laughs> yeah, thanks,
1: man. <laughs> Anytime. You guys launched me, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it was Dylan. No, I, I Dylan here that he's gonna be angry at me. No, it wasn't you guys. It was Dylan, abstition. He's oh, uh, right. his podcast. Yeah, he's another good
0: follow. He is absolutely. Yeah. Um, but thanks again for coming on and. uh, if you guys are talking about it, so are we. Do
2: you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergy Arms. Berkey Arms will get you the gains you need. Bergy Arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better characters so you can get the gains you need. Get Bergy Arms. Bergy Today. Not a real product they May make you trade your favorite... Player for a mountain man do not use if you're healthy if you want it loyally buy a dog